One of the songs we just sang, in that song, we express the desire that God would show himself to us, that he would uh, reveal who he is to us. And I could think of no better uh, answer to that song or that request from that song, no better uh, way to move into allowing God to do exactly that than to come to his word, for that's the place where he reveals himself most clearly to us. And I did a bit of this introduction last week, so I don't need to do it this week, uh, uh, in terms of talking about these songs of ascent. If you have your Bible, please open it up. We're going to go to Psalm 130 uh, this morning. And uh, these are songs for the journey, if I can put it that way. Songs for our journey as we are moving upward, as it were. For them, they would have been seeing themselves, if they were Jewish, uh, when these would have been written. They would have been seeing themselves going up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, coming into his presence. For us, we might uh, liken this to songs for our faith journey as we are on our way uh, to God. And as in fact, we come into his presence. Now, let me just read Psalm 134. These are not very long, so they don't take long to read. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Psalm 130. Now you notice we've jumped quite a bit from where we began last week, Psalm 120. I mentioned there's a number of these, and of course, uh, I'm, I'm anticipating, hoping uh, that we are returning to a normal, more normal service in 1st of June, which means I want to get these in in just these couple of Sundays. Uh, just, uh, just maybe make one comment about this, not, not a huge deal. Uh, there are lots of good things I've jumped over, of course, in those psalms that I jumped over that are some good phrases. I did take opportunity this week uh, to do uh, two of my uh, short Take Heart devotional blogs on a couple of verses that we have to jump over. I have to confess, I uh, recorded two of them, I should put it that way, and the one I recorded on Thursday, I forgot. I recorded it and uploaded it, and I forgot to actually make the post on the website. So I did that this morning. It's there now, but... Uh, it's a couple days old by now. This psalm actually starts out very similarly to Psalm 120 that we covered last week. I don't know if you noticed that. Psalm 120, he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. He says, deliver me, Lord. Again, he has a similar sounding cry. Now, we've made, we've made some progress in our journey, right? Like if you would visualize either his uh, journey to Jerusalem or you'd visualize his journey into the presence of God or you'd visualize our presence as, or our journey as we're maturing in the faith, we've made some progress. And yet, it begins off with a lot of the same sounding uh, kind of things. God, hear my voice. Be attentive to my plea for mercy. One of my blog posts I did was on the fact that we need God's mercy coming out of one of uh, Psalm 123. But I want us to notice this morning that the subject or the reason for why he is crying out to God in this psalm has shifted. You notice in the first one, we talked about this last week a little bit. In the first one, when he says, listen, God, hear my cry. I'm begging you to pay attention to what I'm asking you. He is focusing on what's happening around him, right? 
He talks about lying lips. He talks about dwelling among the people of Meshach and among the tents of Kedar. He's, he's, he's uh, worried about or he's thinking about the stuff that's going on outside of him. This week in Psalm 130, we recognize that as he's getting closer and closer into God's presence, that request is changing, right? He's still saying, God, hear me. He's still saying, I need you to hear what I'm asking of you. I need you to move and to answer. But the reason is different. If you look at verse uh, 3 of the psalm, you'll see what has shifted. He is no longer concerned about what is happening out around him. He suddenly is beginning to realize, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Most of you probably know that I'm not a, uh, I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy. I don't enjoy making people uh, not feel good, or I, 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 I'm a pretty optimistic guy most of the time. But one thing I come back to over and over again, because it's there over and over again in God's word, is this, I guess I'll say this question, but this, this idea do we have you stopped and thought lately what would happen if God would keep track of iniquities? If he'd be marking them down and say, that one, not going to get wiped away. That one we're going to keep. We're going we're to make sure we remember this one. Maybe I could, if I could ask you that question, when is the last time you've done that? And I'm not talking about marking other people's or recognizing other people's. I'm talking about when's the last time you've stopped to think about what would happen if God... Now, it's kind of, a, kind of a trick question, right? Because God does know everything about us. And there's nothing that's hidden from the one to whom we must give account to you. But what would happen if God would mark, that, that phrase there, if God would mark, if God would require of us our iniquities, our sins? It's, 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 a, it's a rhetorical question, right? Like the, the, the question is there, God, who could stand in that? It's a rhetorical question because we know the answer, but it bears asking that question and making sure we understand the answer. Who could stand if God were to mark iniquities? And the answer is no one could. None of us could. It's for reasons like that. Let me just read these verses which seem to jive really well with what the psalmist is saying. They come from the New Testament. From uh, James writes these words. James chapter 4. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That sounds a lot like what we're talking about in these songs of ascent, right? Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And then he picks up the same thing that what begins to happen as we draw into God's presence. He says, submit yourselves. Oops, I jumped up a verse instead of down. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
You see how they picked up similar themes? As the psalmist, as it were, he's talking and he's speaking joyfully as they're on their way into God's presence. And he's asking God to pay attention to all the things around them. He's asking God to pay attention to the people of Israel. He's saying, God, we need your mercy. And he's thinking about stuff out here. And as he comes closer and closer into God's presence, he begins to realize what all of us unmistakably begin to realize when we begin to come into God's presence. And that is to say, whoa, if God is going to keep track of iniquities, all hope is lost for me. Again, it is not what is my most favorite thing to do to ask people to dwell. In fact, sometimes we dwell too much, but to ask people to dwell on the things in their lives that are just bringing shame to Jesus' name, that are sinful, that are not obeying God's commands. However, as much as I don't like that, however, as much as that doesn't feel good or isn't what I'd like to do, I believe we can never fully grasp and understand and receive the power of the good news if we do not grasp and receive and understand the bad news. And that, this, this is precisely the crux of the bad news. God, if you were to mark our iniquities, who could ever stand before you? And it is clear what the answer is. None. No one. Do we not need God's mercy? Are we not in desperate need for some kind of intervention, some kind of something? Because if this is the last verse we read, This is a miserable place to be. Of course, you know, we're New Testament believers, and that's what makes the good news so good. And he says it right in the very next verse. But with you, God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you, God, there is forgiveness. There's a couple of places I could have gone with this to, uh, to try to, uh, to bring this idea in. I, I love to stay, I wanted to stay in the Old Testament because I think we sometimes fall trapped. It's just one of my little things. We, we sometimes fall trapped into thinking that God is different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. Like in the Old Testament, he's all about you know, judgment and, and, and wrath and, 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 and doing all those things. In the New Testament, he's all about grace and you know, letting things slide, if you want to put it that way, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'd like to see, have us see that those things aren't true. So I often like to, to make sure that the things we often think are New Testament things about God that they also exist in the Old and vice versa. Things that we think are just Old Testament stuff, they exist in the New. So this morning, there's a couple of places I could have gone because there's a couple of really fantastic prayers uh, in the, book, uh, the, the Old Testament books. Uh, one of them is Daniel. I, I, wanted to, I thought about going to Daniel because Daniel uh, reflects this in his prayer. I chose instead to bring a reference out of the book of Nehemiah because it's one of my favorite books. And it really traces a lot of this, uh, uh, this, this thought. But this idea that God, with God there is forgiveness. There's this fantastic scene. If you read the book of Nehemiah, you recognize that Nehemiah and some others are coming back to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding it. And there's this scene towards the end of the book. There's this scene where they begin to read the word of God. They begin to understand their, who they are. And they begin to understand the verse we just covered a little bit ago. They said, God, if you're marking iniquities, none of us have a chance. None of us are going to make it. And then you get this chapter 9, and I love the title of chapter 9, the heading in my Bible anyway, of chapter 9. It says, the people confess their sins. 
this powerful moment, this incredible moment where the people of God are together and they're realizing how lost they are. They're realizing how right God is and how wrong they've been and they go through and they really do it. Listen, we don't ever do stuff like this. They really do it. They go through and they recount all the things they can think of. They recount a history. They, they start way back in the beginning and they say, this is where we have been and this is what God has done and this is what we've done. And in the course of that recounting, as they're confessing this, they begin to just use phrases like, but we hardened our hearts. But we stiffened our necks. But we, in fact, they say, we went as far as when you took us out of Egypt, you delivered us so powerfully. We went as far as we brought a person and we said, can you take us back to slavery? Think of that. And before you get too high and mighty and scoffing at those people, think of how often we fall back into familiar patterns that are actually going back into Egypt. Just because it's comfortable. Because it's what our flesh wants. Because it's easier. Because it's what everyone else is doing. I don't know or frankly care what that excuse is. But it's a similar thing as saying, we even got someone to take us back to Egypt to go back to slavery. And on the heels of that, in Nehemiah chapter 9, I think it's verse 17, somewhere thereabouts, they say this. As they're confessing their sin, they're confessing their hard-heartedness and their stiff-neckedness and, and how they've, they've just disobeyed. They say, but with you, you, God, are a God ready to forgive you are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. They're talking about their ancestors. You did not forsake them, even though they were ready to forsake you. Friends, it's verses like this that we, that they, that we need to hang on to. For we do need those moments where we come face to face and say, God, if you marked our iniquities, who could stand? But then to have the word of God come behind that and to say, but we know you are a God ready to forgive. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. Thank the Lord. He is slow to anger. He's patient with us. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he does not forsake us. Again, the New Testament writers would reflect the same thing. That uh, we can walk away from him, but he is faithful to himself and he will always be faithful. That's who he is. But I don't know, I want you to notice a, a, another phrase that uh, we just covered. And probably if you're like me and like most of us, we look at a verse that we just covered in Psalm 130, verse 4. And we look at the first part and we love that part of the phrase, that verse. And so we kind of forget about the rest of the verse. We all probably stopped paying attention. When we, but with you, there's forgiveness. We say, yeah, that's right. And it is true, by the way. I'm not making light of that. But did you notice the last phrase? But with you, God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Interesting phrase. Interesting words, right? I say interesting because many of us and many of the people that we've seen in the history of Christianity and maybe around us and those kind of things, but certainly also within us, Many times we take God's abundant grace and mercy and his steadfast love and all those great things I just read out of Nehemiah 9.17. We take all that and we turn God into some kind of permissive God. We say, oh, there's plenty of forgiveness. There's abounding grace. And there's, both of those are true, by the way. But we tend to take that and say that means the, the, kind of the pressure's kind of off. And this verse says... 
With you, God, there's forgiveness, and that is what makes me fear you. We rarely, I don't, I, it's, my, it's my position this morning, we rarely come to that conclusion out of studying God's great forgiveness, that he, in fact, is the one that should be feared. Can I suggest to you, by the way, I mean, well, let me say a couple of things. Let me just finish that thought. Can I suggest to you, by the way, that it's, 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 it's precisely for that reason, the reason this is true, is precisely because he's the one who can forgive or not forgive. Because he's the one who does know, you know, that, that inherent uh, implication I, 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 I revealed to us that when we say, if God were to mark iniquities, like, he does know them, right? He is aware of every one of our shortcomings, every one of our sins, everything we've ever done. So, in that context, if he is the one who can forgive or, in, as the case would be, choose to not forgive, then... That's what leads to fear. And I want to be careful because we often like to kind of sneak sideways even with this word. And we say, well, you know, fear means to revere or to worship. And it does have some of that aspect. I'm not going not to quibble about that. But there's no getting around. Every definition I've ever looked up about it uh, in, in any kind of reference about this word is there is also just that, like, we think of the word fear. Like, like, like we're afraid. Like, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a fear. There's a dread. I mean, I could just let you test it out. Make a very sincere effort to come into God's presence and see what happens. See what kind of, whether you would call it fear or not, comes. I think you'll find that that's a good word. It does mean revere and to be in awe of, but it also means to be in fear of. It makes me think of Jesus' words. Jesus said in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10, he said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see how this helps flesh out what the psalmist has said? With you, God, there's forgiveness so that you may be feared. And Jesus said the reason that's true is because, you know, we're afraid of lots of things and we maybe are, are, are carrying different amounts of fear about what can happen to us. And I would suggest probably... Almost all of us in some context, if there'd be some threat made towards us, there'd be some fear mixed in. We'd probably be lying if we'd say there's none at all. Although there's times when the supernatural uh, grace of God comes in and we don't realize it. I've had one of those experiences that I was not afraid right at the time. But after the whole thing was done, I realized, uh, I, I began to, to shake and realize that that was really scary. And it could have been really different, but by the grace of God at the time during the, during the, during the, the, the thing itself. However, we can get scared about those things that happen around us. And Jesus says, make sure you understand what any other person can do to you can hurt your body and, in fact, can take your life. Happens to believers the world over, friends. But Jesus says you should be much more afraid of the one who can destroy not just your body but your soul and destroy them, like, more, it's different. It's not, like, kill is the word, like, that you stop breathing. Destroy is to completely destroy, like in hell. With God, there's forgiveness. And if we don't have God's forgiveness, because we, nobody can stand before him because of our iniquities, then those consequences are far more than anything else we could ever fathom or think of. This is why, brothers and sisters, I can tell you this morning, just like the psalmist wrote these words down so many years ago, 
Yes, with God there's forgiveness, and I'm so grateful there is. But because of that forgiveness, that is one of the chief reasons. Because forgiveness is necessary. Because forgiveness uh, doesn't just happen. We can't do anything about that. We can't just pay for our sins. That's why we fear the Lord. That's why we are in awe of him. That's why we submit ourselves to him. That's why we recognize that we come trembling into his presence because he holds the power of life and death over us. That's why the psalmist says in the next verse, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. I want to just, I just pause for a moment on the word wait. I wait for the Lord. It's the Hebrew word kava, which you don't need to know that word necessarily. Kava is the Hebrew word. And figuratively, it makes sense, by the way. Figuratively, it means to look to or to expect or to wait on, just as you would think of the word wait, but, uh, but to look to or to expect. Hence the, 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 the illustration he gives, more than a watchman for the morning. I'm waiting. I'm expecting. Now think about this. He says, I'm recognizing that when I'm in God's presence, how far short I fall and if he were to mark those iniquities, I could not stand before him. But with him there's forgiveness, and therefore I, I come to him and I wait for him. He is the one. Because I fear him, he is the one I wait on. He is the one I look to. He is the one that I'm anticipating or expecting something from. If I could put it that way, he's the only one that can do anything about the situation I find myself in. Needing forgiveness of my sins. But what I really find fascinating is those definitions I gave you for the word wait, kava, those are, the, those are the figurative meanings of that word. The literal definition of kava is to bind together uh, as if by twisting, typically by twisting, to bind together. Now that adds, I love, this is one of the reasons I do this kind of stuff. It makes me a little bit of a nerd and I apologize, you, I, I put you through it sometimes. But it's why I do this stuff because it fleshes out the fullness of of this. Think of what he's saying. Yes, he's saying, I'm looking to the Lord. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm going to not move until he's ready or I'm going to do his bidding because I fear him. But he's also saying, because I realize God is my only hope, I'm going to bind myself to him. I have no other chance. I'm going to bind myself to him and trust in him. Wait on him. Depend on him. Be bound. Be twisted together with him. This kind of uh, language, this kind of picture it evokes, is, is perfect. It speaks, it's spoken of all the way through Scripture. Abraham, leave your father, leave your homeland, and go to the place I will show you. And Abraham obeys based on faith. The invitation of the people of Israel, come, be my people, I'll be your God. Leave all that around. Don't do like the foreign nations. Like, don't, don't, we get it, yesterday we had a wedding. And we get it in their weddings, Right? That's why a man will leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife and they will become one. Leave that. Come. Bind together. Be joined here. Jesus gives us the very same invitation. Leave the world. Leave your flesh. Die to yourself. Leave all that behind. The old man must die, but the new man, come, be joined unto me. Be interwoven. Be twined together. Twisted together. Be joined. Wait for the Lord. Look to him, anticipate, expect from him, but know that he's also your only hope, which means you better align yourself, attach yourself, give yourself to him. I wait for the Lord. More than a desperate watchman who's been waking, keeping his eyes peeled all night long, 
and is just waiting for sunrise to come because he knows when the sunrise comes, we've made it through another night. We've been kept safe. And the psalmist ends with this, and I will end with this verse as well. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. O church, hope in the Lord. You can maybe even put your own name in there. O Merlin, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that these words are in the Bible. I hope this morning you are too. It's one little phrase I look past and I want to just close our time together. Maybe tra- use this to transition into our sharing time if you want to, I guess. But a um, little phrase, I, I, went, I jumped past it, but it says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. It's, it's the expression that my only hope is what God has said, because what God has said is what will happen. And I, I think it's really healthy, really good for us, for you, not just to hear me say things on a Sunday morning, but for you to participate, to engage in the message and make sure that you're tracking along. And I think uh, I just would, I'd love to just have from you words that God has said that bring hope to you. The reason why you wait on him, you weave yourself to him, you, uh, you expect from him, you know that he's your only hope. You know that if, if, if he wouldn't be a God of forgiveness and, and uh, be full of steadfast love and a plentiful redemption, that uh, you would have, you, no one, you couldn't stand before him. What are those words of hope that are in God's word? Well, thanks for your participation this morning. Uh, I'd like to end with prayer time and I, I want to take the word of God as... Uh, faithfully and as seriously as uh, we can. And I think it would be appropriate this morning for us to uh, respond uh, individually. I think, that, I think uh, the way the text came out this morning to respond individually to what uh, it says, uh, that verse that we sort of spent some time with, uh, verse 5, uh, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. I'd, we're going to close with prayer, and I'm just going to invite you to uh, personally uh, Make that declaration that you are going to wait for the Lord, that you're uh, tying yourself, you're binding yourself to the Lord, that you're looking to Him, that you know the only chance you have, the only hope you have is in Him. Um, I, I think the Lord would be honored if it, certainly if it's uh, your heart's position, but I think the Lord would be honored by you uh, kneeling this morning. So if you are able to do so or comfortable to do so, I invite you to kneel. Father, thank you for your word this morning and just the way that it teaches us about you, teaches us about us. Thank you for the encouragement we can have this morning as we let the word of God speak to us. And It is in your word that we put our hope in because your word declares your goodness and your mercy and your kindness and your faithfulness and your justice and your, your purity, your holiness, your all-sufficiency, your all-powerfulness. Uh, it, it declares all those things. Your word also reveals to us, God, who we are and how, how desperately we need you. And I want to be the first to say that this morning, or maybe not the first, but I, I certainly want to not be the one that doesn't say it. Lord, I personally, I need your saving grace through Jesus Christ. 
in my life. If you were to mark iniquity, God, I would never be able to stand before you. And as hard as it is, God, as much as we don't like being faced with this, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to recognize my sinfulness, the disgrace that I brought to your name, that I might also then be led to the person of Jesus Christ, to your great love for the whole world, to your sending Jesus when the time was right to be born under the law that we who are under the law might be set free, might become sons and daughters. And if sons and daughters, then heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Oh God, as desperately awful and as, as, as horribly horrendous the, that the bad news is, the good news is just so much greater on the other side of that. And we receive that. I received that this morning. We want to together say, I want to say that I wait for you, Lord. I bind myself to you. I expect from you uh, what your word has said because you've shown yourself to be faithful to yourself. You can't deny yourself. You, you can't not do what you've said you will do because that's the kind of God you are. No, I expect, I, I, I look to you, I wait for you. I, I, I am in fear of you because I recognize you and you alone hold power over my soul and over my body. It's eternal destiny. Whether you will choose to forgive, whether you will not. God, I'm so grateful and want to receive this morning the truth that is declared in your word that you've sent Jesus Christ for that purpose. And if we cry out, if we put our faith in what Jesus has done, if we call upon the name of the Lord, if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that you raised from the dead, then we shall be saved. Thank you. Thank you, God. This morning, I wait for you. More than the watchman waits for the morning, I wait for you. And in your word, I put my hope. Thank you for those that were willing to share. Thank you for the ways that you've been answering prayer. Uh, we praise you for that. We also just continue to bring those requests to you, knowing that not just the ones that came up forward this morning even, and were willing to be honest with us about things we're struggling with, but all of us, God, that we would encourage and, and pray for each other and, and, and lift each other up and say, God, we, all of us, need your Holy Spirit in our lives to help us to walk faithfully before you. And we are so grateful that you've said you'll be with us to the end of the age. Lord, you reminded me of the verses that we began with yesterday's sermon for Joe and Rhoda and just want to say them to you again this morning. You are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I give you praise and glory. We receive your Holy Spirit and want him to guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.